Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that the Word became flesh, that the Word dwelt amongst his sinful creatures, and that we, as his people, have seen his glory through what you have revealed in your Word. Glorious from the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we pray, Lord, as we look at your scriptures this very morning, that we would see the Son, full of grace and truth. Lord, that we would see the Word become flesh in shadow form in your Old Testament. We pray that you'd give us eyes to be able to see and behold the glory of Christ. Fill us with your Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 to 20. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, On the first day you shall remove leaven of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days, those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations, a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, that at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Before you could say that the saying is, there's an app for that, you could have said that there's a store for that. You can go to any store to be able to get almost anything. Now it's just at the fingertips of what you are to purchase. Christmas shopping is often me uh, purchasing things and them arriving two days later, not having to deal with traffic and parking lot spaces. But you can get whatever you want in an instant. Before this, you could almost get everything what you wanted in an instant by traveling to the store to be able to go get it. You want to make a cake by yourself? You can do that. Go get the ingredients. Or you could even go to the store and buy a box. And all you need to add is water or an egg to be able to make that box come. According to Food Genius, close to 80% of the people in the United States of America don't know what they're having for dinner by 4 o'clock that day. 
And when we come to passages like this, we are very disconnected to what is happening in this times. Often, when we think about it, bread is something you pick off the shelf. It's not something that we do regularly. Baking bread is one of time and process. And here, they're reminded through this story to be reminded every year of what God had done for his people. The Israelites were about to be free people. They were about to eat the Passover lamb and get sent out of the land of Egypt. And today's passage speaks of the festival that the people were to celebrate annually as a day of memorial. To remember that night, the blood of the lamb was shed and saved them from death, freed them from slavery. And in today's passage, we see the significance of this Feast of Unleavened Bread as it connects to even us today in the Christian life. As we discover the profound call to be able to remember God's redemptive acts, to purge the leaven of sin in our lives, and to celebrate with sincerity and truth, echoing the timeless message that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for our freedom. So what do we see first in this passage? First, we see the forgetfulness and the festival, the forgetfulness and the festival. Verse 14 tells us two things about the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The first is that a particular day was to be remembered as a memorial day. Now before we see what we are to remember, we need to understand one principle that is repeated throughout the whole Bible. And this is one that I think we can all rejoice and sound, this is true. The principles of the Bibles are true. You need just to look out into the world and you will see the truth of the Bible ever before us. You want to understand total depravity? Serve in a nursery. You want to understand the, the depths and greed of, and of our hearts? Look at people as they go in one day giving thanks to the Lord through thanksgiving and the next day going to buy whatever they can get their hands on. Look at the world and you see the principle that the Bible worked out. And one of the principles of the Bible is that we are a forgetful people. The Bible knows the extent of the human nature, the depths and depravity of our sin, but also the effects of that has on our memory. Now most of us understand this very well. We forget regularly. We forget where we put our phones and our keys. We forget people's names, events. We have a whole list of things that we forgot that we forget. And yet the Lord knows our nature and our needs. That we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded constantly what He has done for us. Reminded where we have come from, where we are going. We need this. Even in the perfect memory, we'll forget. And the world is filled not only with our only forgetfulness, but the world is filled with things to constantly take and make us forget. Makes us long to be able to go back to that land of Egypt. Makes us things, think that things were not as bad. And we don't have it as quite as good. The world will lie and twist. Make us slip back. Yet throughout the Bible we see stones piled up as reminders of what God has done for his people. The children would ask, why are these stones here? 
And parents would say, well, this is the stone of Ebenezer. The Lord is our help. And wisdom is not being able to have a perfect memory. Wisdom is being able to remember. Ecclesiastes says that for the wise, as the, for the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. For the wise dies just as the fool. That you're wise one day and forget, then you are no longer wise. And the Israelites were to be reminded at this annual feast of what God had done for them. As they had this feast in the wilderness, this feast year after year of this unleavened bread. And so too for us, Christians need to be reminded. Christians need to remember. We do this every week as we gather as God's people. And celebrate and remember all that God has done for his people. And we need it weekly because we forget. Even more than that. But a day God has set apart for us to be able to put aside worldly employments. And remember our sin. Remember our Savior. Remember his spirit he has sent us to be able to help us. Remember his second coming. And why do we come to church every week? Because we forget. We need to be reminded, brothers and sisters, encouraging, exhorting one another as we look unto Christ. We see the church as a benefit, a blessing, not a burden. We understand why God has set apart a day for us. God knew we were forgetful. So he made a day for us to remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Isaiah teaches us that if we understand the true sense of the Sabbath, we'll Delight in the Lord. Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I've seen this over and over again. It's not really that people in one moment say, I'm done with the church, I'm walking out. That is true, some people do that. But often what they say is, the church is not as important. And they slowly drift away. And as you drift away, you forget. And the world seems ever pleasurable. The church seems ever distant. The benefits applied to us through Christ seem not as necessary. And over time, that frequency grows larger. Now again, that doesn't mean we never miss. There's works of necessity, works of mercy, as you be done on this day. We always should be longing to return that we might remember. Remember, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as he said, do this in remembrance of me. But not only do we see that this feast is there for us to be able to remember, but it's also to be done for the Lord. That this festival was to be held to the Lord as well. And when we think about worship, as we receive benefits from worship, we offer prayers to God. But this is the means which we receive his grace. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 15, the Lord tells the people of Israel, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I have commanded you. And you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days as the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. And every feast came with sacrifices. Some through blood of bulls and goats, while others came through offerings of grain. 
And once we remember what God has done for us, then of course we are driven in worship and adoration for what he has done for us. We see all of his glorious attributes, his grace, his mercy that he shows to us. The Feast of Unleavened Bread would become an annual festival of which they remembered what God had done for them and given unto worship to him. The time that people remember the lamb's sacrifice to be able to save the firstborn. And how God, with an outstretched arm, redeemed his people from the hand of Pharaoh. The second part of this festival that we see is the aspect of removing the leaven. The aspect of removing the leaven. Often when I'm baking, you mix all the initial ingredients together. But then there's a time where you wait. Put a cloth over the top. and Now we can, even in today's world be able to shorten the process using things like active yeast another thing you can just merely go to the store over in egypt at the time of exodus chapter 12 they didn't have a food city food country the krogers just down the street they lived in an agrarian culture in which they grow and grew and ate most of the foods that were at their doorstep one staple of these was grain-based food Grain is a great uh, sustainable food to be able to eat. You can grow it on a large scale, crush it, and it'll last throughout the whole year. And bread is really just a, simply a grain-based food. Bread, grain, water, salt. Give us this day our daily bread was a regular base of their food. Now, we need to know this because when we come to a passage like this, speaking of unleavened bread, we really merely have an image of flatbread. But it's important what we're talking about when we understand this thing of leaven. Yeast is not something they would go to the store and buy in a small little packet or a small little jar. It was something they caught, something they used. Well, how do you catch yeast? Not with a net outside of your yard running around trying to catch all the yeast you can. But very easily, yeast is an organism that belongs to the family of fungi. And fungi really feed on their environment in which they live. They absorb nutrients from organic material, sugars. Fungi don't have stomachs be able to keep their food, but they merely just grow off this. Now, the, the most equivalent example of this would be sourdough starters that people use to be able to make sourdough bread. In our house, we feed the starter flour and water. And it's a fascinating organism that you see grow as it lives and sustains its life. And every year, the people of Israel were to get rid of their starter, all the yeast and all the leaven that was in their house. Often what they would do is they'd keep a previous part of last week's bread and dough and it would ferment, creating this leaven within it. It would put this small bit of dough in a large bit of dough and this leaven would infect and grow in all the dough. And as the Israelites were to get ready for this feast, 
Every year, they would go through and get rid of their starters. Now, Moses had told Pharaoh that the people of God were going to be let go into the wilderness to be able to hold a feast for him. In Exodus 12, this is the feast that they're talking about, to be able to go and celebrate this feast. And this feast was to be prepared in one night. There was no time for any leaven to be able to grow in this bread. God would save his people in a moment in an instance. The long-suffering and patience of God had endured through the nine signs and wonders that he had shown through his outstretched arm. So you see this in verse 39 of chapter 12, and as they baked unleavened cakes in the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they, did not thrust, they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Here, this bread that they were preparing for this feast to be able to have was, didn't have time to be able to rise. So every year they would get rid of all their leaven out of their house to be able to remind them of the instant and the moment in which God had finally delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. Deuteronomy chapter 16 speaks of this feast of unleavened bread and speaks of the unleavened bread as the, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. In all the days of your life, you may remember that the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. So we understand a little bit about what they're celebrating here in chapter 12 through the practice of this annual feast, which they were to remember what God had done and how quickly he had done it. But how then does this apply to us? Are we to every year go through and get rid of all the leaven in our house? And many people, when they come to passages like this in the Old, Old Testament, un, what's the point? How does this connect to us? Why does this matter to me? And some people come and say, well, it just doesn't matter at all. They go maybe to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul says, let, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you on questions of food or drink and drink in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And they say here, Paul says it doesn't matter. Their conclusion is they turn to the Old Testament and say it doesn't matter, it doesn't apply to us. It's irrelevant to us today. Let's disconnect the Old Testament. Let's just focus on the New Testament. But that's not what Paul is saying at all in Colossians. He continues in Colossians and says, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul says that these feasts that were celebrated were shadows of the substance of Christ. That they point to Christ. Therefore, they're not useless or pointless, but they point us to Christ. We'll speak on more of this later. So the first is to be able to get rid of it altogether. Second is that we read these passages literally. And what I see more and more is there's certain groups and divisions which say, well, these then need to apply to us today. And they say they're a command from God, and therefore, we need to understand and do these things today. That they practice these feasts and these festivals. 
They celebrate seven feasts and festivals such as Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. As New Testament Christians. But again, that's not what Paul is saying in Colossians. He says these are a sign and a shadow of things that point to something. The substance of Christ. Christ is the substance. The feast is just the shadow. The shadow is secondary. The substance is what you want. If I was to walk around and say, would you like this $100 bill? No, I'll just take the shadow, thank you. And this is the point the author of Hebrews makes over and over and over. Why would you want the shadow when Christ is far better and greater? He's a better prophet than Moses. He's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. So how do you know there's a shadow of Christ here? Well, Paul says in Colossians that there's festivals that are shadows of the substance of Christ. How do you make that connection? We need to understand there's a great difference between allegory and typology. Allegory is something that is very symbolic. And they make connections to Christ in which merely they just make a springboard assumption. Well, there's blood. Well, blood is red. Or red things then form, point to Christ's blood. Typology is more about these organic connections that are interpreted through Scripture that we see. What does that mean? Allegory is merely like a springboard. You get a verse and you jump to Christ. There's no connection. You're just using the verse to be able to jump you and move you over. However, typology is more of that of a root system, all connected closely together, intended by the Spirit to be able to show the substance of Christ. Now, there's many things and people that can disagree. There's one category of typology that all should be able to agree on, and that is when the Spirit connects to what the Spirit has written that we see in the New Testament this clear, organic connection that the New Testament author, under the inspiration of the Spirit, connects to the Old Testament Scriptures. You see this quite clearly with the Passover lamb as a type of Christ. Why can you say that? Because the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. But you can also connect the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to Christ and New Testament believers. Why? The Apostle Paul made that connection. He explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8, he said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven lumps, a leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What's Paul talking about? Feast of the unleavened bread that was celebrated every year. Feast of the unleavened bread was like that of a spring clean, but instead of going through all your junk, you get rid of all your leaven. Now, leaven is used throughout the Bible to speak of sin, 
just as Paul does in, in the book of Corinthians, malice and evil. He echoes when he says, purge out from amongst yourselves in Judges chapter 20, when the tribe of Benjamin has done these abhorrent sinful acts like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 20, 13, he says that they are to purge out the evil of sexual immorality found within the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul applies the same logic here. Get rid of the sinner within the church. In Exodus, the verse and the terminology is that they're to cut anyone off that eats any leaven within those seven days. See that in verses 15 and 19. And the church in Corinth here is about boasting, about how gracious they are for, towards accepting this one man's sin. However, Paul says your boasting is not good. Even the smallest bit of leaven feeds on anything. That over time, the leaven gains more and more of an appetite that consumes the whole lump. We need to understand here that what Paul connects to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is the, the actual event of Passover. That unleavened bread follows the event of Passover. Paul reminds the church in Corinth, Corinth that Christ is our Passover lamb. That the lamb is sacrificed first, and then the people of God are to purge the leaven within them. This leaven of affliction, this leaven of sin, Christ died, and we are saved through the blood of the sacrifice. They're not saved through eating the, not eating leaven, they're saved through the blood. They're to remember the blood which was sacrificed through the purging of the evil within. Now we purge the leaven that's in our lives, sin, evil, malice. We are to celebrate the new festival, not with this old leaven, but the new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now very practically, how do you practice that in, as a church? Now, some people apply this principle of unleavened bread and, and apply it to the, the use of what type of bread you use in the Lord's Supper. It's very clear in the Passover that it speaks of unleavened bread. There's very similar connections between Passover and the Lord's Supper, but they're not the same. We turn to the Bible to be able to understand how the Bible interprets Scripture. There's two common words in the New Testament that speaks of bread. Unleavened bread, which is often translated that way, or bread artos. The first is limited to be able to speak specifically of that unleavened bread. Now the second term could be both. Bread that is leavened and bread that is unleavened. Now the bread we're speaking of in time of Jesus' day wasn't the white bread that we go to the store and buy. But over time, you would probably be able to tell what time of year it is through how much leaven the bread had in it. Over time, they would constantly use this starter as it would continually grow. And then at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, they'd get rid of all their leaven and the bread would be flat as it grew throughout the year. But more importantly, the second way that we understand how this applies to the church today is 
that as a church, we practice it, practice church discipline. And what that means is if we see a brother or sister in Christ sin, and they continue to be able to walk in that sin, and we approach them and talk to them about their sin, confront them about their sin, that what eventually happens is that the elders would come and talk to you with this person, read the Bible, pray with you, exhort you to repent and seek forgiveness. But if this continues to be able to walk in this way, eventually what would happen is the formal process of discipline. All of this up to this point has been discipline. Discipleship. But the formal process of discipline. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Corinthians chapter 5. The person is in their church is like leaven in a loaf. The sin feeds and feasts and grows. That the church in Corinth was actually boasting of this sin. Eventually what would happen is that we would do what Paul tells this church in Corinth to be able to do. Remove this person from you. Why? Not because we're suckers for punishment. We love conflict or the process. That's what we're taught in the Word. Do we truly understand that sin is serious? Sin lies in the depths and despair of all of us. And sin is harmful and hurtful. But also, the other part is that sin lies in each of us but each of us make up the church. That together we are one body, one loaf. And that a little leaven affects the whole loaf. That we hate and abhor sin. That we see the seriousness of sin in your life and it's connected to the whole church. That we need to be able to take drastic measures. No one merely sits to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have this small little lump of cancer on your skin. Oh, it's fine. I like it. That's how we deal with sin. The Christ, the surgeon, comes to be able to remove that sin. The great part is that we don't only have 1 Corinthians where Paul instructs them to be able to send this man out. We also have 2 Corinthians which Paul says, now you are to welcome him back in. He has repented. He has gone to the cross. The discipline did what it was meant to do to be able to point him to Christ. He's no longer an outsider, but he's a brother. He's repented. But more importantly, I think we need to understand that the leaven lies within all of us. That sin is a greedy thing without a stomach that forever will seek to be able to feed its own passions and desires. That sin is that hungry fungus that if left will consume you. If left would consume your whole body. Sin will consume and feed on your soul. What do we do? We need to remember. 
we need to remember that Christ, the Passover lamb, has come. His blood has been shed. We need to look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And therefore, as we put on Christ, we can put to death sin in us. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Do we see the need for us to be able to get rid of this sin as we worship Christ and what he has done for us? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most glorious Father, we thank you so much that we see in the shadows of the old, which is revealed in the new, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we see the Lamb which was slain to be able to take away the sins of the world, the blood which was shed to be able to save us from death, found in Christ Jesus. But also, Lord, a feast and a festival in which we celebrate as we put off malice and evil, bearing the new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Help us, Lord, to be able to understand the foundational truths of the blood which was shed, but also as we walk in the sanctification, taking off the old and putting on the new, that we would rest not in our own ability to do so, but the Spirit who works within us, that you would receive all power, glory, and honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.